in keeping with what we started last week, we're going to continue um, over the next several weeks talking about matters of, of spirituality, and in particular, Reformed spirituality, as we enter into the new, to the new year. And today we're going to take up this conversation, this discussion regarding, regarding the Sabbath. Now, for many of you coming into like a Presbyterian or, or a, a, a Reformed um, context, typically for many of us, the first thing that sort of gets us in or, or, or piques our interest um, are the doctrines of grace, at least, at least for many people. Um, although that is important, and at some point we'll, we'll dive into that topic. When it comes to other matters re- regarding reform piety and practice, there are other great concerns and great things that, um, that are part of the wider reformed conception. And we can't really, really boil down what it means to be Presbyterian or reformed. Uh, just to that one particular thing, like the doctrines of grace. There is a lot, there's a lot to what it means to be um, Presbyterian or Reformed. I mean, think, I think when you consider both you know, things like our history, um, when you consider the way in which we approach the Scriptures and we let Scripture inter- interpret Scripture, that's of great importance. When you think of being Reformed, there are great um, tools, or like there are great ideas such as covenant theology, like our great confessional heritage, our, our style and our forms of worship. We have our, our polity or our, our church governor, governance, right? So the way in which we oversee um, church. But then also again, also again, there is a distinct way in which the Reformed have historically approached what, my one, what, what, what one professor of mine always would, would call our piety and our practice. There are distinct features to Reformed spirituality that we want to get into, and some of the more distinct ones that are that are um, pretty widely known that are uniquely reformed is, I mean, the reformed. Once the once the Reformation started, there was a renewed commitment to things like the singing of psalms that became a real important thing. How we came to understand the second commandment took on new shape, and then the idea that we're discussing this morning, this idea of the Sabbath, the Sabbath, is one of those very very important and distinct things. Understanding this day, Sunday, as the Lord's Day or as the Christian Sabbath and how we approach it is one of the more fundamental and foundational things to our, to our practical lives as not just Reformed Christians, but just Christians in general. When you start to run in our circles, you hear people talk about the Sabbath uh, quite a bit. It's not always a pleasant conversation uh, because sometimes when folks talk about the Sabbath, it turns into a... Uh, you know, a um, rule-keeping checklist and, and checking up on you to make sure you're doing everything right. But I remember when I first came over to uh, the Presbyterian world, however many years ago, that was nine, ten years ago now, finding out about the seriousness with, with which Presbyterians took the Sabbath was a huge surprise. I had no, I had no, no idea. It was one of those things that, that sort of catches you, catches you off guard and you, and you don't realize um, that that was there. That that was there the whole t- the whole time. But the Sabbath has always played a part in the in the Reformed heritage. And what's fascinating is that it isn't just been a big deal for the Reformed Church, but the, the general church in America for a long time was very very concerned uh, with the Sabbath or, or, or with the Christian Sabbath and with the keeping of it on on um, on Sundays. Part of 
kind of being embarrassed when I came into the Presbyterian world was also being embarrassed to learn so much about American history and all of the, all the ways in which many, um, many, many laws prohibited people from working and doing things on, on the Sabbath. I mean, there used to be a time when it wasn't just Chick-fil-A who was closed on a Sunday, but no, just about everyone was, was shut down and closed. And, and what's fascinating is that a lot of states today even you know, still have some blue laws on the books still that kind of linger. They're sort of remnants of an older, of an older time. I mean, many states, there are, there are 28 states in particular that still have a few laws on the books. Most of them pro- prohibit things like the sale of alcohol. Uh, in many cases, you can't do a transaction regarding a car, so you can't go to a dealer or not supposed to mark that date on your, on your title either. There's a few places where these things um, linger. But they are obviously remnants of a, of a far more, um, of, of a far different time where there were much more robust laws regarding, regarding the Sabbath. Um, one of the things that you'll hear as you, get, as you dive into lectures on this or you, or you study the history and you hear about Reformed perspectives on this is, is people trying to um, make a way forward with how can we as Christians living today, um, as Reformed Christians, but just general Christians, how do we as Christians uh, honor the Sabbath and honor the Lord and our observance in the Sabbath and the Christian Sabbath on this Lord's Day? Uh, Dr. Robert Gottfried, in writing on this topic, he talks about it a lot, and he he harped on this a ton in class, too. Uh, He's quoted as saying this, The Christian Sabbath, as known historically by Reformed Christians, is in serious trouble. It is attacked by the secular culture of North America and largely ignored by many evangelical Christians. Even among Reformed Christians, as uh, or a profound uncertainty as to the theology and practice of the Sabbath seems widespread. The danger is very real that the Sabbath will become a quaint memory, kept alive only by stories about men who shaved on Saturday nights, women who peeled potatoes also on Saturday nights, and dairymen who poured out milk from their milking on Sundays so as not to profit from such labor. Well, this morning we're going to take up this idea of the, of the Sabbath. And this topic really is extensive. I mean, this could be a a whole Bible study on its own terms. You can go several weeks. So I'm going to try to just give you a little bit of a glimpse of the reason why it's important. It, it's important for our, for our spiritual lives in Christ. It's, it's important for our spiritual health and well-being. And hopefully this morning give you a somewhat brief um, but important and positive case for why we should all care about the keeping of the Sabbath um, and we're going to do that by mostly using what's laid out for us in Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're going to go through this um, in, big, in big sections to try to pull out some of the ideas as, a, as Christians over, three, or over the course of three headings. The first of which is this, point number one, we want to first see a rest earned by work. Rest earned by work. Deuteronomy 5 Verses 12 to 14 is one of two places we'll find the, um, the, the Ten Commandments in the law, or um, just in, in a list like this, at least. There's other, other areas where each command is, exposit, is exposited, exposited and taught a little differently. But we have here Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20. And in both, both of them, it starts very simply and lays out a very, a very foundational principle. That resting from your labors is an important 
part of God's law. It's something that he commands. And the rationale that's included in both Deuteronomy and Exodus are, um, or is, the rationale that we're most familiar with. The rationale that we see beginning of verse 12 is the establishment of this simple work-then-rest pattern. You work, and then after, as a result of your works, and as the reward for your works, then you are uh, commanded to rest. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, the Lord your God commands. Six days you labor, you do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath or a rest um, to the Lord your God. That's very, very simple and, and foundational. When you turn over to Genesis 20, I'm sorry, Exodus 20, which also has this, um, it lays out some of the rationale for that pattern of working and then resting. It says in verse 11 that, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on that Sabbath day, or that seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, and he made it holy. In that passage, we're saying part of the reason why you follow this pattern, why you work six days and rest one, is because that's how God worked. That's how God fashioned the earth in the days of creation. That he worked, he's depicted as a workman who rises in the morning, does his work, goes down at night, and then on the seventh day, he enters into a day long of rest, a day that, according to the scriptures, has no end, uh, that is enduring and goes on forever indefinitely. It's through this labor, through his working, his fashioning of the earth, his, uh, his, his shaping it, his giving it order, it's through his work that he earns that everlasting day of rest. And then he blesses it, and he makes it holy. Therefore, it's because of God's work that there's this command that is hanging over all of creation, this pattern of working and then resting. This is not just something that is revealed to us in Moses, but it's like a, found, it's a foundational and fundamental idea that is evident to the entire world. When we talk about God's law, most of the time we're talking about the law of Moses here, the, um, the Ten Commandments, his moral law. Um, we also have this understanding that there's a natural law uh, written on the hearts of men that is revealed in creation that contains the same substance as the moral law. It, it's, they, are, they are in their substance roughly e- equivalent. And so people know this principle. like They, um, they understand it just by, just by being created in the image of God. And one of the important distinctions, therefore, then about about uh, Reformed Christianity versus, versus others, is that one of the things I wasn't aware of is that when you come into the Reformed Church, they're just understanding that all of that moral law, the whole Ten Commandments, not just the second table, which talks about how to relate to people, so like, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, but also the commands regarding how to honor God, um, that all of it is also contained in natural law evident to all peoples, and, and all peoples will be held accountable for that. This idea of work, and then your work earning you a proper reward, um, is self-evident. As Paul will say, you know, quoting the Old Testament, he'll say things like, you know, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, or the laborer deserves his wages. Working should, according to natural law and God's God's moral law, both creation itself, working should earn you a reward, 
and to rest. Um, and we feel, as a people, a sense of injustice uh, whenever that reward is not granted or reprieve and rest is not granted. Or we feel injustice and we feel upset when people are resting when it doesn't seem like it's warranted and they haven't earned it or worked for it. There's something about that that, that just riles us up and gets us upset. There's a fundamental understanding uh, throughout creation, and it's seen in other places as well, like um, that Sabbath rest is embedded in creation, and it's there because that is the way in which God himself worked and fashioned the earth. And man in his image is to follow this, this pattern. And that's what we see in the very first pages of Genesis. When Adam is created and placed in the, in the garden, he's given work. He's given work to perform. Uh, guard and keep the garden uh, to not eat of one particular tree, um, to protect it from all intruders and invaders, even to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, all of those things he is to do. And the reward for him is the same reward that it was for God when he created and worked. It's to, after his labors, earn for himself and all of his posterity entrance into that enduring, everlasting seventh day of rest, which is the Sabbath. And even though Adam failed, um, in that task, in the covenant of works, even though he, even though he utterly ruined it, that very principle, that very, that very idea is still, is still embedded in our DNA, in the very bones of this world, the creation, the foundations of the earth, working and then resting. And so it is here commanded. Rest is earned by work. But what's interesting about Deuteronomy and, and the rest of, the, of this section is that that's not the only um, reason why the Sabbath is commanded. So the second thing I want us to see is point number two, rest given for remembrance. Rest given for remembrance. Deuteronomy is very different from Genesis because it highlights this thing which we don't always talk about and don't always emphasize when we get into discussions regarding the Sabbath. It's written here that rest the rest that is at the heart of the Sabbath, um, it's not only required for all those who labor, uh, but the Sabbath rest that God has in mind is also a gift that is given by the Lord and that we are commanded to receive. Observe the Sabbath day, he says, keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you, in verse 12. But in verse 15, he says that well, part of the reason why you should do this is be, or why I'm commanding you to do this is because you have to remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath holy. Rest um, is also a matter of, of, um, a matter of worship. The Sabbath is required by God because he requires you to take time to reflect and to remember the great mighty works that God has performed on your behalf. The first principle, as we discussed, is that rest follows your work. But the second principle is that rest is a call to remembrance. And in particular, God's people are to remember his great redemption. 
how they were burdened under slavery. They had no, like, things were out of whack while they were slavery, or, or while they were under slavery uh, in, in Egypt. That they weren't receiving the proper rest that they were due. And so God stepped in and redeemed them. He lifted that, uh, he lifted that burden off of, off of them. And he, and he literally placed them in a land that would give them their rest. Remember that you were in bondage, he says. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That you had, um, that, that you were under bondage. And the Sabbath, uh, therefore, is a day given for them to reflect soberly on the condition of life, the hardships that they faced, and what it was like before the gracious hand of the Lord redeemed them. To remember what those times were like. To, not, to never forget what it was like when you were oppressed in that foreign land. The Sabbath requires that sort of reflection. It also says to remember then how the Lord brought you out of that with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Remember that out of that bondage, the Lord delivered you. He saved you. And he did so not, not like he didn't, he didn't sneak, through, like, you know, sneak in through the gates. He didn't do things in a hidden way. No, the Lord saved you in a mighty way with his, with his right arm, with an outstretched, you know, with, with an outstretched arm and hand. Like he, like he demonstrated his power through giving signs and wonders to, through the ministry of Moses and, and that first exodus. God has delivered them. And as a result of the exodus, God granted them and placed them in a land of rest. So the Sabbath is, on the one hand, something that is earned by work. Um, but on the other hand, it's also, it's also something that is, that is given and it's accomplished by not the people's work, but by God's work and that is given back to people as a gift. Sabbath, Sabbath is both commanded, but, it's, but then it's oddly something that must be received. Um, and that salvation of the Exodus, uh, and remembering the Exodus, always going back to the Exodus over and over, remembering the hardship, and then remembering the deliverance. That is just how the Old Testament operates. Like when you go through the Psalms, when you go through the prophets, the way in which they understand their relation to God and, and salvation it's almost always cast in terms of, of Exodus. Like the amount of times you hear allusions to, to Exodus uh, is overwhelming in the Old Testament. That refrain that we, that we started with when we confessed, um, when we uh, read the law earlier, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, like that doesn't just happen in places like the Pentateuch. Like Psalm 81 includes it. When he, he's talking about, you know, I relieved your shoulder of burden, he says in verse 6. Your hands were freed from the, from the basket. In distress you called, I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. And then in verse 10, dropping down, he says again, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Sabbath is a day given by the Lord so that they can reflect on God's greatness, their condition, their blessings. So Sabbath is nothing less than a time, if that's the case, for worship. Uh, Sabbath is given to God's people uh, to reflect in such a way that we would call it worship. And so spiritually, the people of Israel were fashioned and shaped by the idea of the, of the Sabbath. It was the time 
that, that if there was any time during the week where you had to sit back, uh, sing God's praises, remember his goodness, remember the state that you were in before and where he's, got, um, where he's placed you, it was the Sabbath. And even all the other feast days that are on the calendar for the Israelites, they're all in some way associated with the Sabbath. They're all called Sabbaths in their own, in their own right. The constant call to repentance and to return to the pure worship of the Lord in the Old Testament is repeatedly cast in terms of Sabbath. You, need, you people need to Sabbath once again. When they violate the land and when they, um, when they are uh, flirting with coming under God's curses, it's because they didn't Sabbath properly or give the land its Sabbath. Or when they're told to have a revival, well, in places like Isaiah 58, it says, uh, or um, the prophet says, if you turn your, oh, sorry, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your business on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, uh, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasures, or talking idly, but if you honor it, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride to the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He says, if you would just, if you would just stop ignoring the Sabbath, if you would take the Sabbath to heart, then the Lord would bless his people. So the Sabbath is a time and it's a day of rest, but it's not just a day of rest for you to kick back on the couch. It was a day of rest for them to exercise their faith, to remember, to recall, to sing, and to worship God. One of the ways the people showed their dependence and trust in the Lord was in the keeping of this day. Sacrificing a day, a day's worth of profit, a day's worth of labor, um, but to sacrifice the time, uh, to give the first fruits of their time to the Lord. This command to cease uh, from labor, to meditate on the word, receive God's rest, this was always at the heart, the spiritual, uh, or it was at the heart of the spiritual life of God's people under the Old Testament. And if that was the case then, the question becomes, what has changed now? So the last thing I want us to see is point number, point number three, a rest refashioned by Christ. A rest refashioned by Christ. How do we make the leap from the seventh-day Sabbath to this idea of a Christian Sabbath, uh, or what we call most often the Lord's Day? I mean, one of the things we say is, well, I mean, how could we not? Like, how could we not maintain this idea in some way? I mean, on the one hand, creation doesn't change. Uh, it's still the same principle. Those same, that same uh, natural law that's embedded in the earth, uh, you can't change the fact that God w- worked six days and then he goes into the seventh into an eternal, everlasting rest. Uh, and that, that principle of working and then resting would still be in operation, that we still consider it just, uh, and right for work to earn a reward, a particular award, a reward of, of rest. At the same time, if, or um, on the other hand, if that was always the paradigm that Israel worked under to describe their worship and their devotion, then there has to be some sort of way that translates into the new. Um, 
And of course, it has. But as with all things in the move from the Old Testament to the New, um, things like the Sabbath do in a sense get reshaped and refashioned by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his very person. But at the same time, both ideas, the work-rest pattern, and also this, uh, this idea that resting requires remembrance of God's redemption, both of them um, are still at work for the Christian. They're just altered a bit because of Christ. The very first one, the idea of the work-rest pattern, we have to remember who Christ claimed to be and what he did when he um, was incarnate by the Virgin Mary. As we said, Adam failed to work well and then to enter into a seventh day of rest. But when Christ comes, the scriptures proclaim him as the second Adam. And he too, like Adam, must work and earn for himself a rest. Now God's people, um, since the time of Adam before Christ, like everyone else, they, everyone, every single human has failed to work and to earn for themselves a true rest. Um, and that's what Hebrews speaks about the, um, about the people of Israel. He talks about how, is, how Israel failed uh, to follow Adam's example, even if it was just in picture form as a type, that Israel failed to enter into the land and remained in their rest due to their unbelief. All of humanity has been under curse, and it makes real true rest Elusive. I think we all feel that to some degree. Like none of us on our own, just thinking naturally, um, none of us really do experience a true natural rest. Either our work is like unfulfilling, we're unsatisfied um, with it. Or as we said earlier, I mean, sin makes even good things like a rest a point of contention. We turn our rest into a matter of, are we, are we resting the right way that we should be resting? Uh, and then we get in arguments with each other about what, um, what each other are doing and if I'm truly resting properly. We get bogged down in those fights over what is lawful or not. But where all other men have failed, um, Christ has succeeded. He has, proven, he has proven himself to be the true workman, an honest workman who, who has obeyed God's law perfectly even going so far as to fulfill it entirely. He remained obedient even to the point of death, um, his death on the cross. He proved himself to be the faithful laborer who worked well. And just as God worked and entered a rest at creation, so the Son of Man um, and all of man in Christ two, um, have entered into a true Sabbath rest based on works, the work of Christ. And we have joined God um, in his everlasting seventh day rest of Sabbath, but we have joined God in that work through Jesus Christ. The whole story of him coming to earth, living perfectly before God, suffering, dying, and then being raised and going to new, and uh, entering into uh, the new creation, that is the very idea of him coming in, working six days and entering into rest. It's the same story being told of us that was laid out for us in the beginning.
he has accomplished his, um, or he has earned for himself an everlasting rest. But through his work, we're also told that he's accomplished an exodus. That he has um, led his people out of their bondage, in this case, a bondage to sin. And all those who are united to him shall enter into that same rest that he, that he has. And if that is the case, as we read in, in, in Mark's gospel, then Christ has the right to say and to claim that he is now the Lord of the Sabbath, and he can do with it as, as he pleases. And for us, living in Christ now, the fundamental changes that have happened go like this. No longer do we as people work in order to earn rest, eternal rest, um, in that heavenly city. But we as people now are commanded to rest first and then, and then work for the sake of others. That our observance of the Sabbath has totally flipped. Um, that Christ being raised on the first day, on a Sunday, has altered the way in which we understand this. And that is the way in which we conduct ourselves and go about the ministry here at this church now and, and how we should go forth as Christians uh, from this place. He worked, Christ that is, he worked and entered, earned for himself a rest. Um, but he gives us our rest as a matter of first importance now. The first thing that the Lord tells us, that he requires of us, that he, that he uh, tells us, is to rest in him. But all those who are, oh, who are weak and heavy laden, all those who are weary, that we come to him first and foremost to rest. And then we go back out into our various vocations and live for God before our neighbors. These are the terms that we live under now, and this is the way in which the Sabbath has been uh, reformed, that your life has been shaped by a new pattern as a Christian, that we make rest the first order of business that we do week in and week out. And that's the function of, of how church shapes us, or Sundays shape us, the Lord's Day uh, shapes us in our spirituality as Christians as well, is that we come into this day and we come as, as a people to this church service uh, to be reassured, to be reminded of the rest that we have in Christ. Like, we come in here for, for relief, for, like, not, not for burdens. There are lots of things that we can do and should do as, as Christians. And yet the first order of our spiritual life is to come here, to be reminded of what God has done for us, to remember him, and to rest to lean on Christ, to depend on Christ. That is what we do as people. We go to Christ for the streams of living water that he offers. We come to the Lord on Sunday so that we can be refreshed, not burdened. And so church in particular and Sundays in general, like they're not just uh, one extra thing that we do in our spiritual life. They're not, they're, uh, it's not just something that we... Um, that we do and we add to the list, but then we consider the rest of the week, our devotions and our time in prayer and, our, and all of the ways in which, oh, all the acts of service, like that's the real meat and bones of the spiritual life. It's completely opposite. That Sundays, um, the Lord's Day, and in particular the worship, the worship service, the worship with his people, 
This is where God promises to be, to feed us, um, to give us his word, um, to feed us on his body and blood, to reassure us of who we are, who we belong to. And then after we've rested, um, once again, then, then go back out into the world uh, to live for the face of God in whatever walk of life God has sent you to. This day is a foretaste uh, and a small glimpse of the eternal rest that is to come. And as God's people in Christ, because he has raised and entered into that place, the very first thing that we get to do, the first order of business for God's people, is to be reminded of the rest that has already been secured in him. As Joseph Pieper, a, a philosopher, um, has said, the Sabbath has always been conceived as a symbol pointing ahead, a prefiguring of the last and foremost to all divine gift, the eternal peace of God coming to all beings. Sunday is dedicated to this hope. The day itself becomes an image of the coming age. May our spirituality, uh, our life before God, our piety and our practice take root here on this day. And may um, you grow deeper roots uh, in your love and enjoyment and rest on the Lord's Day of the Christian Sabbath. And may Sundays for all of us not just be uh, inconsequential, but be foundational uh, for our lives from this day uh, and, for, and for all the days ahead of us. Let's pray.